This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. It's my music. You're listening to Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. Hello and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. I'm your host, Andrew Rich. This is episode 105 and it is volume 2 of our look at some classic Joshi themes. And today I'm joined by my guest from volume 1. He is the host of the True Penny Show as well as an editor at Steel Chair Magazine. It's James Truepenny. Hello, James. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much. I'm having a wonderful day. It's March, and I got to wear shorts today. That's never a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, here in Massachusetts, it's been like in the 50s lately, so it looks like the weather is starting to turn here, um, which I like, you know, because, you know, no more puffy coat and no more hat, no more gloves. <laughs> so um, I'm looking forward to, you know, spring and summer, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. It's It's been a long, cold winter here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, been a long, cold year in general, I think. Yeah. 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 Um, well, it's good to have you back on the show here. Thank you. Uh, it's been a while since you were on, a couple of years, actually. And um, I asked this to Garrett last time. Um, how have you been doing during the pandemic? Um, it's it's not been the best of pandemics, unless they rarely are. Um, it's been pretty horrible to be honest with you unfortunately i lost my father just before christmas um and i lost my aunt a week later and covid has not been kind to this part of the world i've had, I've had covid myself and my friends had it my work colleagues have had it thankfully they're all okay but they're suffering long-term effects it's not pleasant having said that i've watched a lot of wrestling i've written about a lot of wrestling i've recorded loads of podcasts about wrestling in fact today i was recording a podcast called today at which we've been doing, I've pretty much started doing last year to fill the hours, basically, being sat at home with nothing to do. So every time New Japan do a big tour, like the Best of Super Juniors or G1, I do a podcast called Today At, and it started off as a little 10-minute podcast. And then my friend Christy, who used to be a really big fan of New Japan, has just recently got back into it. She said, I'll do them with you. And they went from these little 10-minute like sports report things to hour-and-a-half chats. Um, <laughs> a big, big, deep, in-depth storyline and character stuff, which is kind of what we do really well. And Christy has also lost a parent to COVID as well, so it's kind of a bit of therapy for us to catch up as friends because we haven't spoken to each other in, in nearly about the same time as, as since I did this podcast um, and get to fall back in love with New Japan Wrestling and out of love with New Japan Wrestling uh, a little bit as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, well, first of all, I am sorry for your loss. That That's just awful, having to, to go through all that. Um, as I know, many people have had to go through yeah, because yeah. of the pandemic around the world. But um, I'm glad you're keeping busy, that's for sure. That's an important thing to do. And, and wrestling can be that escape for a lot of people. Um, of course, it helps when the wrestling is good, mind you. Uh, <laughs> that, that helps a lot. Um, and, and you did mention... Uh, New Japan, uh, that's a, a real frustrating thing right now, I, I find, is, is the inconsistency of New Japan these days, where you, you watch one show and it's like, man, what are they doing? They've lost the plot. It's not good anymore. And then you watch the next show and it's like, oh, my God, this is amazing. The match of your <laughs> contenders. Oh, my God. Like, it's so it's so frustrating, that inconsistency. But 
you know, then again, that's wrestling of all kinds over the years. Wrestling, it, it can be great, it can be downright awful, but, you know, it's always been there for us through thick and thin, and that's something to appreciate at least, so. That's it. It always was. But I watched um, Jay White and Dave Finley this week, and I said to Christy at the time, my dad would love that match, and I'm glad I got to see it, because it was his kind of match, especially as, as I did the math today and realized I've been watching the Finley family wrestle for 40 years now. And that made me feel really old. <laughs> <laughs> but in a good way, I've had 40 years of Finlays in my life. How awesome is that? Yeah, there's four generations of those guys. So there's been a lot of them, that's for sure. <laughs> um, now, if I remember correctly, you're also a music teacher, right? That is. I'm not teaching as much music as I used to, as you can probably imagine. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Like, <laughs> Do you have lessons still over Skype or whatever? Or? Yeah, exactly that. I do Skype lessons, private teaching-wise which I can do anyone in the world. So if anyone would like a guitar lesson, you can uh, send me a note on Twitter at Sheriff Lonesa and, and I will quite happily charge you money to teach you how to play guitar. Um, I, my school work, I'm in and out of one school because they don't want people who are going from school to school, obviously. So I had some time off from that, but I got back to that a couple of weeks ago. The main school I work for, I'm not teaching music because we're not allowed to sing in school because obviously to be blunt, spitting and breathing on each other is not good in this particular situation. Um, and we can't do music the way we used to. So we kind of have to sit there with laptops and beat out tunes, which isn't doesn't require as much as my support as it used to do. <laughs> and I can't be everywhere. I can only allowed in one room. So I've got my class and one of the class I deal with, and that's it. So not as much music stuff as I used to, but I have played a lot of guitar. As you will today, of course. You have yes. the guitar at the ready here. So. Yes, I... I've got my Ibanez. I, I actually purchased this guitar, um, like just before lockdown, or just after lockdown, the first one, and it's an Ibanez RG350, which is kind of ideal for what we're talking about today, because this guitar was designed around about the time these women were leaving the dojo, the majority of them anyway, <laughs> and uh, it's um, nice and metal. This guitar. Yeah, sounds great, man. I mean, I know when I have Chris Nimabrino on the show, he brings his guitar at times too. So um, I, I do like having the guitarists on to you know play a few notes here and there. It's a lot of fun, absolutely. Um, well, uh, anyway, James, uh, it is March, International Women's Month. And uh, back in 2019, I had you on to discuss some classic Joshi wrestling themes. And now you're back for round two here. Um, it's funny, uh, in between your appearances uh, from March of last year, I did an episode about ruthless aggression WWE diva themes, uh, which, as far as like the wrestling goes, is a rather far cry from the world of classic Joshi, I think, because <laughs> no Brian Penny's matches for Akira Hokuto or, or Manami Toyota, no no mud matches for Kyoko Inoue, I don't think they're James, so... <laughs> no, no, not, it's not their thing, really. So I did have a conversation, well, the other thing the other day, an indie wrestler called Aspen, and she posted a picture of her. It was a it was a selfie, and she showed her knees, and somebody was like, "Oh, good lord, woman, <laughs> cover cover up that table leg ladder. It's releasing my sexual ladder. And It was like, calm down. It's somebody's knees. And I was thinking back. I actually posted a bunch of stuff that they did, kind of like you know some of the classic Joshi women did actually do cheesecake video shoots and photo shoots that. The Crush Girls did loads of swimsuits because they basically wore swimsuits all the time. And when they weren't wearing swimsuits, they were wearing double denim. 
um so because it was the <laughs> 80s um and so you know it's the basic principles of the stardom look if you will a woman who can wrestle really well and looks good in a bikini has kind of its roots in the 90s wrestling certainly bikini kudo is probably the the highest profile of the women that kind of that, that kind of way of thinking it wasn't really though as sexual objects it's kind of in the way of the videos and and uh books that wrestlers today do it was kind of just like nice kind of innocent really pictures not to say that you know there was some sexual exploitation going on i'm sure there was but equally they were independent women who were making a living doing the things they wanted to do so there's balance there yeah i mean nowadays they still lean into the the model side of things with joshi with the various photo shoots and photo books and and there is i think definitely a more uh overtly sexual aspect to it too with some of the racier sets um but yeah back then from what i've seen anyway there wasn't as much uh titillation as there would be later on from like the 2000s onward no and also it i would also say ajw specifically were kind of a wholesome product like the women involved couldn't smoke couldn't take drugs couldn't have boyfriends couldn't go out you know if you would especially if they were younger when they got older a little bit they had a bit more freedom because they were kind of the boss but they had enough sense to not do those kind of things because they were um, looking after their own interests, really. You know, they were looking after being top of the card. So there was, there were, it was kind of trying to be as wholesome and appeal to as many people by not offending. You know, it was like 80s WWE in the sense of it was a big cartoon that everyone could buy into. And that was kind of the similar thing with AJW, but it was just more athletic and with deeper themes, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for this episode, I did watch a bunch of matches on YouTube, and I'll bring them up as I go along here, because uh, there are just a lot of matches sitting on YouTube for free, and they're <laughs> awesome. And I have been meaning to watch a lot more Joshi, a lot more classic Joshi anyway, uh, recently, but um, this episode did give me a nice kick in the butt to do so. Because uh, it's weird, like, there's a lot of wrestling I'm, I've been meaning to go back and watch or rewatch, like uh, classic Joshi or uh, 90s All Japan 2000s ROH, and it's right there online. I know how to get it, but I get like this anxiety. There's too much of it to watch, along with current wrestling and, and movies and, and TV shows and books and podcasts and, and work and all that stuff. So it's weird. I want to watch it, but there's so much that I want to get to that I get this pit in my stomach <laughs> that I don't have enough time. Um, do you ever feel that way at all, James? I, I, I think so. I, I mean, for me, it was kind of like, it, it was kind of the culture I grew up in. So, like, as far as being a music fan is concerned, I couldn't afford to buy records every month. So I would go to the library and order a record or a CD, and it would come in, and they were trying to build their music collection up. So pretty much anything I asked for, they would get. So, like, my library had, like, Soul Asylum and Husker Du and all these Minnesota punk bands that I liked. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd asked for them. And so when I was younger, it was like trying to troll through five videos, getting them at wrestling shows, one thing or another. So for me, it's kind of like I'll pour up with a lot to watch a wrestling show. <laughs> um, so it's, it's harder for me, but there are becoming more and more avenues to to find it because of like the amount people write about historic wrestling now. There's some great Twitter accounts to follow to, to kind of guide you into the right places as well. And there's kind of experts in each promotion, like uh, Brett, who uh, writes a lot about FMW, right? The FMW history website. You follow him, and he'll give you loads of things. Roy Lucia as well. He's a, a great wrestling historian. He can guide you very well. 
if I may blow my own horn, my own show kind of has a guide, the, the Beginner's Guide to Japan, which looks at specific shows and, and uh, kind of gives you a guide through them as well. We're doing one on Monday, actually, which is a very kind of Japanese British centric because someone has managed to do rips of the wrestling channel, um, Gaia shows from the 19, early 2000s. So they had the contract with Gaia. And one of my friends, Mo Chatra, who writes for the Daily Mail here and also wrote for Power Slam magazine at the time, did the commentary on them. So that Joshi Wrestling and it's Mako Satomura and Devil Masami and Mayumi Ozaki and, you know, the gods of Joshi um, on the promotions with English language commentary um, from Mo, who's great. And we're going to do a show about that on Monday. So, you know, you can you can find different avenues. And I understand what you mean about it being intimidating because it is a you can get a bit lost if you're not careful. Yeah, I mean, it's up there on YouTube for free, so I better start watching it as soon as I can, because <laughs> who knows in this day and age how long those videos and channels are going to be up there for, because you mentioned Roy Lucier, his channel got nuked yeah. not too long ago, um, Monsoon Classic got nuked, uh, Cubs fans, Lucha Channel, got the boot a few years ago, like, the internet is just, it's this amazing thing where all sorts of wrestling can be at your fingertips, but it can all be taken away just like that, which yeah. doesn't help the anxiety, I don't think, but <laughs> <laughs> that's the give and take of the internet, I guess, James. That, that's it. I mean, I had the neat trick of downloading lots of it when it was easy to download YouTube videos, so I have <laughs> DVDs full of the stuff, um, which I copied from my dad because he wanted to see it, and he, he had no access to the internet nor any idea how to do it. So I've got two copies of them, so I, I, can, I can put them back on Google Drive eventually, I guess. <laughs> Uh, but for now, yeah, we, you kind of got to be, you kind of got to get into what's available. You know, that's that's the thing. And I think that tends to guide like what people get back into. Something like the GIF accounts, what people pick up on. It's kind of like, there's also a bit of a blank area with Japanese wrestling where there was kind of a, an impression that it wasn't great. So like from around about 2005, when the Japanese economy comes to a grinding halt to around about 2012, when it starts to pick up again, you can't find shows for anything because no one was interested in anything. <laughs> so it's like, and like the, the streaming services don't really cover that area because they aren't that interested either. Right. <laughs> so, so it's kind of like you, you're a bit stuck then really, but yeah, there is some cool stuff out there. Yeah. So let's start things off here. Uh, we have seven themes to play and we'll begin with Aja Kong, who we just saw actually in the AEW women's eliminator tournament. Uh, last time we talked about a Kong theme, uh, one of our more famous themes, which was Electric Eye by Judas Priest. But now we'll play the other well-known Aja Kong theme. This is off of the album Complete All Japan Women's Pro Wrestling. It's by Dennis Gunn and Yoshio Nomura. It's called Jungle Emperor.
God made the devil just for fun, but when he wanted the real thing, he made Aja Kong. That might be the greatest line from a wrestling theme ever, because it, it just sums up Aja Kong to a T. She is the last person you want to wrestle. She's mean, she's scary, and she's going to hurt you. Like, even if the song was just that one line, it would still be a tremendous song, James. It's brilliant. Oh, it's perfect. It is absolutely perfect. It fits everything about Aja Kong just so well. You know, it is, it is the perfect line. She, of course, of course, the devil made Aja Kong. No one else could imagine, no, no human could imagine such a thing. You know, she is the wrestling's greatest monster heel. You know, you look at her and you look at monster heels today and they're only just catching up with what she did. You know, and, and as a person, she had so much. It was 10 times harder for her than any of the people on this list, and she did it better than most. Because she was not the classic wrestling style, she was not the classic wrestling beauty, and she had a gauging father, which is always a setback in the environment she's going to be in. Yeah, I mean, someone like her, with, with her background, as you said, you got to be tough to get through things, that's for sure. Um, and the funny thing is, like, yeah, she is this tough dangerous woman, the legendary Aja Kong, this feared monster. But overall, this song here is rather light-hearted in tone, I think. Like, it doesn't sound traditionally scary or dour. It's rather upbeat and fun. Uh, there's the away, 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 away part. Like, even the rest of the lyrics are quite wacky. Well, the Sahara was a jungle till she ripped out all the trees. Then she looked up at the mountaintops. They all began to freeze. The sun gave her a cold until she set it on fire. Check and see it for yourself if you think that I'm a liar. It feels kind of like a children's song in a way. That that blatantly silly and cartoonish over-the-top imagery. Uh, which, again, is an interesting choice given that it's Aja fucking Kong. And <laughs> you don't think of her as silly, really. Um, I mean, the song is fantastic, but it's a rather uh, curious dichotomy with the tone, James, you know? Yeah, I mean, as well, and when you go against that, the actual chord sequence is a minor chord sequence. I'll play you the chord sequence a second. So that's EGA. Oops, turn my volume off. That's EGA. It's E minor. It's a call and response, so it's kind of bluesy. And then it's got this offbeat rhythm to it, which is what makes it catchy. And it kind of reminds me very much of like, almost like a Jerry Reed song, like telling a story through the song. And then you've got this big epic chorus, not necessarily the way away away bits, but the the length of the notes of the hell for such a long time. I think it's the Yoshio Nomura's vocals are like wailing away in the background. So it's kind of odd that it's from this storytelling place that's really accurate, but the delivery, especially uh, Dennis Gunn's delivery, is really dramatically overdramatic. And yeah, there's so much going on with this. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, 
and then you realize what the, what it, it was debuted at the the Big Egg Universe show, it was the biggest rest, women's wrestling, all women's wrestling show of all time, and it was debuted for the final match of the V Top tournament where she wrestled Akira Hokuto, and she came out to that music, and they spent a million dollars on her entrance alone. So it's like on the staging area that they used for it, they filled the egg dome. It was complex. It was costly. There was fireworks. And they said, so yes, they should write a song for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's also obviously very different than Judas Priest is, of course, uh, which is full throttle, heavy metal, straight for the neck. So a real stark difference there too. Um, But regardless, I wanted to have this on here because it's such an iconic theme. And I wanted to start us off with it too because – it's an all-timer, James. It's an all-timer. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's it's the most fun. Let's be honest. It it's it kind of makes things a bit cartoony, but as well, they were trying to soften her edges at the time because they're going into this big cross-promotional feud with everyone in Joshi. You know, this is this is high-stakes wrestling, and I think there was kind of an if you look at the history of that ninety-three to ninety-five period, this was really intense stuff. And anything you could do to take the edge off it made it a bit more, you know, it wasn't so much of a dramatic slog. I mean, that that show itself was a 12-hour, 22-match <laughs> epic that most people didn't finish till the end, <laughs> didn't last the whole day there. And it was hard work. We did it on the Troopany show a couple of years ago, and I think it took us three hours to review every match. And it's funny, it's not just wrestling either. There was, like, kickboxing and, and shootboxing there too, and all this amateur stuff and, and dwarf wrestling as well. And um, also there's Akira Hokuto and Aja Kong. So it's it's a real eclectic mix, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, Animal Higuchi's daughter in her amateur wrestling uh, demonstration, which doesn't really quite work because amateur rings are like three times the size of pro rings. So, <laughs> so it doesn't quite work the way you want it to. There were some things that were experimental, but they were trying to celebrate women's wrestling and women's fighting generally, and that, that we can support, especially in international women's month. Up next, we'll look at the theme for Mima Shimoda, uh, best known for being one half of the tag team LCO with Etsuko Mita. Uh, LCO stands for Las Cachorras Orientales, which is Spanish for the Oriental Bitches which is just a tremendous name for a team. Uh, Mima's theme, which was also occasionally an LCO theme, is by Yasumitsu Shimizu, off of, again, Complete All Japan Women's Pro Wrestling. This is Mima the Sensation. This is not like Aja Kong's theme at all. It's, it's a much more straightforward, classic 80s, 90s pro instrumental with the rock guitars and the synth mix. Has a great guitar solo in there. A little bit of the traditional East Asian flavor too. So it's 
Not a song that will stand out all that much amongst the many others like it, but I think it's one that will always work, especially in that era, James. Yeah, I mean, it, it is the it's the kind of quintessential Joshi 80s wrestling theme or 90s wrestling theme. It's it, it's it's an ode to like guitars like this one, the Floyd Rose guitar especially because of the way the tremolo works. I will give you a quick demonstration. I can make my tremolo make horrible, horrible noises because <laughs> it will just run the strings to slack like this. So there you see, you can do all sorts of things. But you can do all sorts of things with a Floyd Rose tremolo and this has got Floyd Rose all over it. It's also got this incredible 80s, 90s guitar set. And it uses those double stops in the guitar sound, which is like a classic 80s rock. It's incredibly uh, Death Leopard. You know, you could imagine Mutt Lang sat in a studio and Phil Collins plays that. It's like, oh my God, we've got to press record. <laughs> um, it's, just, it's just perfect. Um, also, the other thing it kind of reminded me of was Mr. Big. This is a very Paul Stanley guitar part, not Paul Stanley. Um, Oh, I've forgotten the name of the guitarist, Mr. Big. That's really awful. <laughs> I'm going to have to It's look. not Billy Sheehan. He's the bassist. Yes, yeah, so um, Billy Sheehan's the bassist. It's, um... Paul Gilbert. Well, Paul Gilbert. That's the reason why I was looking at that, because I was thinking of... Paul Gilbert has a guitar, which is the reverse of the Paul Stanley guitar. So in my brain, I went to Paul Stanley first, obviously, when I was talking about a completely different person. Uh, but yeah, it, it's very much that Mr. Big style, like green... Green tinted 60s mind is exactly the same kind of riff, to be honest with you. Um, and Paul Gilbert plays guitar very much in that way. It's very big, expansive guitars. I could see him playing this or listening to it at least and really enjoying it. Um, and yeah, it's kind of like a, a noodle along rock song. And it kind of matches Mimish Moda in that sense of she was a very direct wrestler. She is a badass and i kind of i want something that doesn't she had so many roles within new japan not new japan within ajw like she was originally part of the dream architect uh, sorry the tokyo sweethearts tag team uh with minami toyota and that didn't quite work and then she got put in the original lco with akira hokuto and itsuki mita and she served her apprenticeship as okuto's right hand woman getting her ear clipped on a regular basis because she'd done something wrong. <laughs> and, then, and then the LCO came out on their own and they were the baddest tag team of the 90s. You know, they were, they terrified people. It was just two normal sized looking wrestlers, but they were just capable of so much evil. And it was great. <laughs> yeah, to me, I don't necessarily disagree, but... I do think there is a bit of a styles clash at play here with this one, because here you have this song that could be this heroic, you know, no-nonsense classic hero theme for a woman who really wasn't that. Um, like you said, you know, LCO, look up any big match of theirs, they were not the chipper, golly gee, let's win this one for the fans <laughs> type of wrestlers. No, they were intense, rowdy, screaming bullies who would just have these intense, wild brawls with their opponents and that type of style doesn't really mesh with this rather 
uh, traditional sound to me. Um, it, it does have that hard rock edge to it and that drive to it too, of course, but it's not as frantic in tone as the LCO conveyed in their matches, James. No, I, I understand where you're coming from because like Mima Shimoda was like a pure classical wrestler in that sense. So if, if you look at her, kind of the tag team she had uh, with uh, Minami Toyota, Tokyo Sweethearts, it suits that perfectly. You know, they were happy-go-lucky kind of high school kids with big hair and, you know, they wore pineapple workout outfits and things like that. And it didn't work at all um, because Minami Toyota's not like that. Mimi Shimoda's not like that. So their great rivals at the time were Dreamwalker, which was um, Tetsu Yamada. He ended up being Minami Toyota's partner. And Atsuka Mita, who ends up being Mimishimoda's partner, and it all clicks into the right places. Someone said the other day, it's like greatest tag teams of all time. And someone said the Dudleys. And I'm like, the LCO would have stolen the Dudleys' lunch money and stuck their heads through tables. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were they were better than anybody else. So that's that's they were just that good. And uh, I, I still say they, they've got a shout for the greatest tag team of all time, in my opinion. Yeah, I watched a few LCO matches the other day. Um, I watched their match from the Big Egg Show. I watched a cage match against the J-Tops. <laughs> and then I watched a match against Kyoko Inoue and Aja Kong. And with all due respect to them, those are not the cleanest, smoothest, most well-worked matches in the world. But that wasn't the point either. The point was violence, intensity, aggression, chaos. Like, during the Kyoko Asha tag, they're brawling around Korkin, and there, there's tables, and there's fire extinguishers going off, and <laughs> at one point, they try to throw Kyoko Inoue off of the balcony of Korkin. It's, it's nuts. And, again, that tone doesn't really come through with this particular song here, James. No, this, just, like, just the, the entire idea of the LCO still terrifies me. Like, the only team I've seen who've come close were uh, Medusa Complex, which is uh, Charlie Evans and Millie McKenzie, the Australian-British tag team, who I saw, well, who, 2019, who were, they, they were Sendai Golf World Tag Team Champions. And they're very much that intense kind of uh, full-court press tag team like the LCO were. Sadly, we'll not see them again because Charlie Evans is staying in Australia and Millie McKenzie signed with NXT UK. <sighs> Here we go. The things that could be eh? <laughs> but uh, yeah, LCO were just just so intense all the time. Uh, I would also recommend their match against Aoki Yamada and Akino in Arceon when they turned up in Arceon and were like, we're the LCO and we're better than all of you and proceeded to beat seven shades of excrement out of Ajakon and her uh, protégés and it was glorious. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the funny thing is that Mima, this this wild woman, this Take no shit, bully. Nowadays, she works for New Japan as a backstage helper. Yeah, like she's the one in the backstage promo videos who gets Jay White a chair, and she's all like nice and sweet. It's it's very amusing to see her in this kind of role here nowadays, given her career, James. I I'm wondering how many conversations she's had with Jay White. I really do because there's there is there is some parallels there, um, and in, in his career and hers and. Yeah, if she'd be the ideal person that you'd want handling talent as a road agent or just as a helper and offering advice at the right moment because she's still one of the best heels I've ever seen. Yeah, she's the one where Jay cuts that amazing promo after Wrestle Kingdom where he falls over and is like, well, somebody fucking help me. She's the one who picks him up. 
So there's like an established relationship between them in those videos. She still manages in CMLL on occasion. As well. Oh, right. Um, Okamura. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Aren't they married in real life too? Yes. Yeah. yeah she, there's, there's a big crossover between the Joshi women and, and uh, Luchadoras generally, you know, because of even more so than the men. I mean, you have fantastic at Mania Tour and obviously places like Osaka Pro and Michinoku Pro and UWA were, were very Japanese influenced, sorry, Lucha influenced Japanese wrestling. But a lot of the excursion that happened out of AJW were just straight to CMLL. Um, and for Gaia, it was UWA and, and AAA. So there's uh, people like uh, Aoki Amada, speaks fluent Spanish, and fluent Spanish and wrestles for, for AAA, obviously, because the father was Grant Hamada, who did the same kind of deal uh, with UWA in Mexico, as well as running his own promotion. So there's a lot of crossover between Lucha and uh, AJW. Kira Hokuto was CMW, CML, rather, uh, world's women's champion. So, yeah, there's a lot more crossover with women than you'd actually think, but there is. Well, speaking of wild women and uh, speaking of cool names for wrestlers, up next, we'll look at the theme for Dump Matsumoto, which, if you don't know who she is, picture a woman named Dump Matsumoto. That's her. Just a real big bad motherfucker. Uh, Dump, a member of the Villainous Alliance with fellow baddie Bonacano, among others, and all Japan women's. And her theme is by the Black Sounds Orchestra off of Pro Wrestling Q3D. This is Black Devil. song is rather fascinating i think and rather eclectic too because it's a funky jam with the bass line and these swaggery guitars beep boops with the keyboards the heavily modified robotic voice so it's rather futuristic sounding at times but then it devolves into like a 70s pop song with the female singers and the hand claps the bongos and then it's back to the funky future jam So it's a very striking song, um, but then again, Dump was a very striking woman. So I think they kind of go hand in hand there, James. Yeah, this, the, the Dump's on a different planet. She's it's just like 
you, you look at the women that AJW had up until her, and there's Jaguar Yakota, who's the big star, and, and there was the the um, the the trying to remember the beauty pair. There we go, and the Jack Sato, and they're very classically styled Japanese women in the body shape, and you know even like um, the heels they had were big, but they weren't like monstrously big. And then comes Dump Matsumoto. And she just doesn't care. It's not that she doesn't care about what you think of her. She doesn't care about you or anyone else. And she wrestles with just sheer abandon. The rules are merely an inconsequential thing about a wrestling match. They're there to be ignored. All she focuses on is the person in front of her. And it's just like... I don't know of anyone who really absorbed a wrestling character the way Dump Matsumoto did. She's just she's just on a different planet, and she needs a theme tune that's on a different planet. And this theme tune is pretty out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, listening to it, the thing that obviously you tend for a start, you don't tend to get too many listens to Dump Matsumoto's theme because usually she's trying to stab somebody with a fork. Um, fairly early on in proceedings, so it doesn't get all the way through. But the thing that it reminded me of most of all was Zappa. Like, it's very Frank Zappa, 1970s. Um, the way that they use the intervals, the instrumentation for it, the complexity to it as well. You know, it's kind of like some, like, I can imagine Adrian Ballou having a great jam over this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's very much that style of techno kind of maths rock that that Zappa really pioneered in that time period when kind of studio technology caught up with what he was trying to say as a musician and he could afford the performers that he wanted. You know, if you were in Zappa's band, you were as good as it got. Because uh, you had to be, because there were very few people on the planet who could play the stuff that he wanted to play. And this reminds me of that. It's a little bit straighter. It's a little bit more pop, but it's very much in that mold of just out there rock from the 1970s and Zappa was kind of the king of that. Yeah, again, recurring motif here so far with the contrast between wrestler and theme. Dump is this, you know, big, mean, scary-looking woman. And then you have that middle portion there in her song. Um, Lyrics are a little hard to make out with the accents, (laughs) but you can pick up lines like, "Give Give me life of fire, leave me, leave me loving peace of heart, I wish die for my cause, it's my life. Like, those are not necessarily lines or vocals for a heel like Dump. Especially the vocals, which to me are more akin for people like the Crush Gals or whomever. You know, proper faces. So, if it was just the funky part with the robot voice and the beep boops, I think it would make a lot more sense as an overall theme. But those nice poppy vocals in there, they are quite jarring. And they do make this theme stand out in the context for someone like Dump. Yeah, yeah, it's Dump's a unique wrestler. I think as well in this time period, they weren't, they hadn't quite got the overall presentation right yet. And if you think about it, like the big names prior to this point had all sung their own theme tunes. Like the beauty pair had hit singles. Jaggy Yokota has been touring in a band ever since she retired as a wrestler. Well, like the first retirement as a wrestler. I don't think she will ever retire. But, you know, she... Jaggy Yukota is the, like a, a, a highline punk singer, you know, in Japan. She has she has a band. She's she's pretty fair, pretty famous as a singer as she is as a wrestler. 
Dump wasn't going to be singing anything, let's be honest. I <laughs> <laughs> um, just speak then, you know, you can tell that there is there is not a singing voice in there. There may be a screaming voice in there, but there's not a singing voice in there. And, and again, it's like, how do you write a piece of music to match Dump Matsumoto? Like, she is just just insane. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe it is a product of, like, you know, the era where so much of 70s and 80s Joshi is tied into pop music at large. Mm. We talked last time about the Crush Gals having their own albums and singing their own theme. Uh, same with, like, the Jumping Bomb Angels, too. Um, and the funny thing is, you know, you mentioned Dump not having a good singing voice. She has an album, too, yeah. called Dump the Heel, where she sings, like, metal songs, which is very appropriate for her, I think. So, yeah, it is weird to think of some big and scary heel like Dump having the poppy singing aspect to her in any way. But again, that might just be part of the culture of Joshi at the time. Yeah, one of the oddest things I ever saw in wrestling was one of the early Marvelous shows. Marvelous is the promotion that's currently owned by Chikusa Nagayo. And when she first started Marvelous, she was kind of like experimenting with the presentation of wrestling because Chikusa was always interested about the, the cult of pro wrestling and because and she is essentially a large part of that cult. Um, and trying to figure out different ways of presenting stuff. And one of their early shows, which was kind of a poorly attended show because they were a new promotion, but she had Dump tagging uh, with someone who I can't remember, but um, Chigasaw Nagayo's band played all the themes. So there's a point where Dump Matsumato is stood in the ring listening to Chigasaw Nagayo, her lifelong nemesis, singing her theme tune. And it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> Because Dump just kind of stands there and goes, eh, it's pretty good. That <laughs> <laughs> just taps the Singapore cane on the top rope along to the music, nods appreciatively, and then the faces come out. And then, then she opens them. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, I was also reading some stuff about Dump, too. And she has had a rather interesting life, for sure. Because um, there's this translated autobiography I found online from Tokyo Sports and the reason she became a wrestler in the first place was so she could have the strength to kill her dad. I mean, that that's a mood right there. Like, her dad was this bad guy, and she wanted to kill him. That's the impetus for her being a wrestler. And later on, during the feud with the Crush Gals and Shigusa Nagayo, the fans hated her so much, she got legit death threats. And one guy broke a bottle and stuck it against her chest. Like... That's real heat, brother. Oh, like, yeah. there's normal wrestling heat, and then there's that. So it's just, it's amazing to read all the struggles she went through in her youth and becoming a wrestler and becoming the most hated woman in Japan, pretty much. It's incredible. It, it's, see, this is the thing, you know, for every kind of like uh, babyface greatness, you have to have the heel. You don't have Boba Brazil if you don't have the Sheik, you know, and this was a level of heat that was so insane. You have to watch it. You just have to. There's no other way of describing it. I cannot convey in words how over the Crush Girls were and how over Dunt Matsumoto was as a heel. It's just, it's insane. You watch those matches, like um, there's AJW Classics, which I'm sure you can find online in various different places, which was uh, like a weekly TV show where they put on like best matches. And it's Crush Girls versus Dump and Ball Nakano. And 
there's teenage girls in the building that are just screaming and it doesn't stop. The whole match goes on for like best of three falls, 45 minutes. They're going back and forth and it just doesn't stop. There is just no let up in the noise for 45 minutes. It's like being at a Justin Bieber concert. Um, but And it just goes on and on and on and on. And it's just, you know, there, there are people who think they're over, but they're not Crush Girls or Dump Matsumoto over. And there never will be anyone Crush Girls or Dump Matsumoto over. Because Matsumoto was just that intense. She genuinely looked like she wanted to kill the people she was in front of. You know, it's it, it, you can't do that anymore. You just can't. It can't be done. No, no. <laughs> no uh, death threats are a bit frowned upon these days, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, 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 it's wrestling's too friendly in that sense. Jay White's the uh, the only guy that gets close to being getting genuine dislike heat, and he isn't even. Well, he's not anywhere near this level of over. You know, Jay White, MJF gets heat, but it's kind of he's doing it to be popular. If you see what I mean, he's still entertaining with it. Dunn wasn't there to entertain you. She, she was there to make things worse. Just all the worse. <laughs> <laughs> so we've played a bunch of All Japan Women's themes so far. Let's play a theme for someone who used to be in All Japan Women's for a little bit, but then became a much bigger star in the 90s as part of FMW. It's Megumi Kudo. A deathmatch legend, Joshi or otherwise, known for all sorts of crazy matches back in the day. Kudo's theme is by Project FMW off of the album Theme of the F. It's called One Way Heart. So I love this song. I love the combo of those big epic guitars and the staccato piano notes. Dun, 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 and that big guitar solo later on. It gets the blood pumping. It's very exciting. And in a place like FMW, where it's this big time atmosphere with all sorts of crazy brawls and death matches and so forth, you want a song that will convey that level of excitement and atmosphere. And this song does a good job in doing that, I think. Um, to me, it's like a more updated harder version of Mima's theme, where it doesn't really stand out as this unique thing, but it still works really well as a theme. What do you think, James? Yes, it's it's a brilliant interpretation of like the character of Megumi Kudo. You know, it's in the sense she's kind of like FMW's Mima Shimoda or Minami Toyota. She was the girl next door. She was meant to have mass appeal, and she certainly did have mass appeal. Um, and it kind of rocks along. FMW had really good choices for their theme songs. You know, Anita's theme's amazing. You know, it's just perfect for him. 
and this is kind of perfect for Megumi Kudo. Um, and Kudo's that it the bit that always kind of like strikes me with Kudo is like here is this clearly successful woman who is incredibly good looking and is incredibly athletic and you wonder how she ends up in the middle of this double hell death no rope exploding far by a death match <laughs> because it's like how did your life lead you to be here <laughs> so i know how your life leads you to be here and i'm still not sure i quite understand all of it but it's the choice you made and by gum you were the best hardcore wrestler ever so yeah she's awesome and the music has to match that she's on a she's on a kind of a different plane of thought to most of the baby faces of her era but she's just as good as that and she which is kind of the fmw story she was the the one that got away from ajw her and combat toyota will let go because they weren't good enough and it's like i do the troopany show with uh, chelsea spollen and her reaction was they weren't good enough how how were they not good enough and it and it basically boiled down they weren't developing fast enough and combat was kind of getting lost because she was uh, in Bull Nakano's group, and they kind of already had Aja Kong, and you know, the, the, she could see the writing on the wall that if she was going to be a monster heel, AJW wasn't the place it was going to be. And Megumi Kudo um, couldn't get forward traction, but she was in the class of 86. The class of 86 included Akira Hokuto and Aja Kong, as well as Combat Toyota and um, Mimishimoto. Uh, sorry, not Mimishimoto, um, uh, the Suzuki Minami. And then the class of 87 comes along and it's Toshi Yamada and Minami Toyota and Akira, uh, sorry, um, Takoka went away, Kyoko went away. It is literally the greatest wrestlers of all time in one class. And she just couldn't get ahead fast enough and AJW let her go. And she ended up being a kindergarten teacher and Atsushi Anita finds her in a kindergarten and says, would you like to come and wrestle for this new promotion? I want to take on the world. <laughs> and, and Megumi Kudo says yes strange man with the plaster on your forehead I will come and work for you and lose, lose <laughs> forget the markers here's some barbed wire let's go come on <laughs> and and she you can actually see like if you watch those matches from 1990 I literally have seen every one of her big street fights and she's there in combat start off and it's clear they don't really know what they need to be doing in 1990 when they have their first street fight it's not barbed wire it's just a regular street fight and by the time they have combat retirement match in 96 six years later they're perfect it's the best of all the double hell death exploding barbed wire matches there was a couple of call outs in it in the john moxley kenny omega match the other week from that specifically from that match if you if you know that match well so you know it's kind of like it gained in its notoriety because of that and she was for a long time, Megumi Kudo was the biggest draw in women's wrestling. She she held the record for headlining her and Shark Shishio, uh so, Sorry, everyone's probably pronouncing her name. Shark Shishia, uh held the record for a mixed gender wrestling card live attendance, which was 14,000 at Megumi Kudo's retirement show at Yokohama Arena. And that was only bested by the WrestleMania with Becky Lynch and Ronda Rousey and Charlotte Flair. So that will tell you how big a deal she was. Yeah, I mean, it just feels like a big time theme. It just has that feeling, like a, like a four pillar theme, that yeah. epic 
this song means business mentality. There's no cutesy sense or hand claps or whatever. <laughs> it's just a badass theme from start to finish. And yeah, you think of Kudo as this total badass wrestling in crazy barbed wire matches against Combat and Shark. It totally fits. Um, but again, there is a little bit of contrast too, because Megumi Kudo is this lovely woman in a nice pink and white outfit. Very cute, very approachable. And then, oh, here comes the blood and the barbed wire and the explosions. Let's yeah. get crazy. So, yeah, it's amazing to see that this nice-looking, presentable woman is one of the icons of hardcore wrestling alongside these grizzled, um, for lack of a better term, crusty guys <laughs> like Mick Foley and, and Terry Funk and Onita and Mr. Pogo, Abdul the Butcher, like all these crazy scarred up disgusting looking legends and she's right there with them and i think this badass theme helps with her credibility too yeah i think so i mean if you say like the four pillars i think if you had the four pillars of fmw you would have to be anita pogo combat and megumi kudo they were the ones that held the whole thing together and we we myself and john dinsdale who, who joins me on the trooping show we just watched like the last big fmw shows and it's amazing how quickly it fell apart when they all left <laughs> it's just like oh oh dear oh so yeah um but yeah kudos kudos just great i just love watching her wrestle um she's just fantastic and uh what you go if we were talking about the start like in, it's intimidating to go and find all this stuff there's loads of kudos stuff out there and she's just absolutely classic baby face and you, you should watch her and a lot of people a lot of wrestlers should watch her and how to be a great baby face mm-hmm well, the thing is, um, her previous theme to this is a song called Keep On Running, which she sang. And that's a total pop rock anthem. Like, it's inspiring and driven and hopeful. So it's kind of like how with this theme, she's a lot harder now and grittier. And all that poppy fun has been beaten and bloodied out of her in those death matches. <laughs> so there's a fun contrast there, too. Um, but uh, but yeah, Kudo is awesome. I mean, she invented the Kudo May Valentine which is the vertebraker, the cop killer. I mean, that alone, she deserves to be lauded for the rest of time because that movie is so sick. <laughs> yeah, she she also had great dives too. She was like, um, she was as good an aerial wrestler as a lot of people who are, uh, for a time, certainly. You know, she she was she was double tough. She could mat wrestle. Some of the best matches I saw her in were her and combat tagging against Minami Toyota and Toshi Yamada at... Uh, the anniversary shows and and at uh, Dream Slam one, uh, they were outstanding together as a tag team. You know, they kind of like Code Combat was the big heel at the time, and and Megumi was the big face. And they were like, right, let's bury the hatchet because we've got to go wrestle the AJW girls. And then they go against Akira Okuto and Bull Nakano, and they got beaten pillar to post for twenty minutes. <laughs> and it's like, no, nope, right, I'm going to pick ourselves up and have another go. And then it, then it was Toyota and Yamada, and they beat them. So it was like, right. Okay, we've right the world. Now let's go on with our own lives. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, she's she just um, she's just one of a kind. You just can't get the just the intensity that she had and the style that she had from just such a classical styled wrestler. You know, classic Joshi wrestler put into this otherworldly environment, and she made it work. And that this is the kind of thing is as well is that they learned so quickly you know you you look at 
Terry Funk and Atsushi Anisha, I think it's the third or fourth anniversary show. And by the time they get to the sixth anniversary show, they have this bank of knowledge and videotape they get to watch to figure out what to do. And Toyota and Kudo are just perfect. They're flawless. It's like the best version of what that style of wrestling should be. So up next, we'll play the theme for Dynamite. Not the AEW show. (laughs) Not the kid. Not the catchphrase from Good Times. No, it's Dynamite Kansai who was part of all sorts of promotions back in the day, uh, AJW, JWP, Gaia, Oz Academy. One of her themes in JWP is by a Danish band called Pretty Maids off their debut album Red Hot and Heavy. It's called Night Danger. When I think of Joshi, I don't often think of Danish speed metal, but here we are. <laughs> and, you know, for someone with a name like Dynamite Kansai, it fits for sure. And also, that's true for her style as well, because she kicks ass, literally. Go watch the Aja Kong match from Big Egg. She is kicking that woman in the face very hard. So, having this intense, crushing metal song that's about danger and the devil and all that stuff and it starts with that maniacal laugh too it's all very appropriate james yeah it's this very kind of theatrical rock um kind of theatrical metal thing i've got to play this to my friend dara who who presents wrestling rewind which is another truth and show uh, podcast he actually plays in a, a performance death metal band where they do like dramatic rock so like everything's like a full-on stage performance with costumes and makeup. Um, it kind of reminded me of that kind of style of music. It's like it's like the most dramatic thing for the most dramatic wrestler because Dynamite's so intense. Like she's the 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 thing is with Dynamite is just like when she goes to a ring and she's prepping and she's quietly in a corner and you just hear her kicking into corner pads, thunk, 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 and. It's all about intimidation because she's just that bit bigger and that bit thicker and that bit more muscly than the women she was wrestling at the time. She wasn't monster size like Aja Kong or she wasn't monster size like Don Matsumoto. She was just that bit bigger. So she focused everything on her attack and her ability to to hurt you. That's really what she's after. And Kansai was just brilliant at that, just like that intimidation factor. Um, and the matches that she had, uh, so specifically in JWP, which is where she started, were based around that because a lot of the JWP women were smaller and more kind of classically trained. They were Jackie Sato students of the, of the beauty fair. She was the person that kind of founded JWP before she sadly passed away. Um, they were much more based around 
the classical Joshi style, and she brought something very, very different to what JWP was about. And the lyrics make Jungle Emperor seem even more cartoonish in comparison. Racing with the devil in the middle of the row, if you're gonna lose, the devil's gonna take you down there below. The darkness has the power, and it has come to rule. You better pray for your life. An evil circle, you better beware. You better take care, or you're gonna die. You better watch out, and don't let it out. That's a far cry from, away, 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 away. <laughs> Um, but again, it's a real 80s metal song. It's what you expect. And comparatively, this is definitely the hardest and most intense song on today's episode, All Things Considered. Um, but like you said, intensity and Dynamite Kansai go hand in hand. So overall, the music and the lyrics, it's par for the course, James. Yeah, it's... Um, yeah, she, she's just so... It we was talking about like um, AJW not necessarily matching the song to the wrestler correctly. JWP got that bit right because <laughs> <laughs> um, it is just like she's yeah it matches her down to a T and that straight ahead style is like you need a straight ahead theme you need something that's very direct and again she's a kind of larger than life character she's not like. She's a baby face, really. So she isn't like a deep, dark character like Dump would be or Ibal Nakano would be. So she needs something that kind of like announces her presence. And this is really where she's at. I was trying to find out why this band of all bands was used. Because like with Judas Priest, everyone knows them around the world, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, but with Pretty Maids, I had never heard of them before outside of this context. And as it turns out, on their Wikipedia page, it says, Over the years, Pretty Maids have sold hundreds of thousands of records, but have never broken through in a major way. Except in Japan during the 1990s. There you go. So, yeah, they were the proverbial big in Japan, to use that phrase. Right. So, maybe it was a case where either Dynamite or someone in JWP liked their music and wanted to use it. I don't know for sure, but... The use of a random band like Pretty Maids in general makes a bit more sense given their success in Japan during this time period. Yeah, I'm big in Japan, especially this time of uh, this era, like the 90s, the late 80s and 90s. Uh, technical guitar is still like a big, big deal in Japan. You know, um, people like Paul Gilbert, who we talked about earlier, and Marty Friedman, who was former guitarist from Megadeth are massive stars in Japan. And Marty Friedman is a good example. He started touring Japan in the late 80s. And when he started touring Japan as a solo artist before he, before he got picked up by bigger bands to play for them, they, they were basically touring with no money. They could basically basically not make food. You know, you know, they, were, they were essentially paying to tour, but they, they meant they could earn a living. As professional musicians, it's where they cut their teeth. But uh, that technical side of guitar playing has been kind of loved in Japan. I'm a big fan of a girl called Lisa X. Uh, she's a YouTuber. In fact, I bought this guitar. You can't see it, but I bought this guitar. It's a great radio of this. Essentially, because I saw it and I was like, that's like Lisa X's guitar. Ah, completely fanboying out for someone who at the time was 14 years old because she's like this 14-year-old guitar prodigy and she does really cool stuff with guitar. You can go find her on YouTube. There's loads of stuff now. She's about 16 years old now and she tours internationally. <laughs> her and her brother have a band, and it's, but it's that culture of technical guitar 
Um, and but it means like a lot of these things were influenced by that. And certainly like that big in Japan thing is real, you know, like Mr. Big, as we were saying about, I've seen videos of them playing like Budokan Hall when I know they can't, they can't fill a 2000 seat, 2000 seater in Minnesota, but they'll, if they got back together tomorrow, they could go do, you know, Budokan Hall and do 13,000, no problem. Well, that's true for a lot of metal bands, I think, um, not just in Japan either. You know, look at a band like Iron Maiden, who, yeah, they do well in the States, but they go to, like, Europe or South America, and they're selling out stadiums everywhere. So it is pretty amazing to see how, with metal, it may not have the mainstream appeal in America that it used to, but you go to another country or continent, and it's still just massively popular with so many people. Oh, Maiden in Indonesia. You would not believe it. I watched a documentary of Maiden Tour. It was on BBC one night, and... They went to Indonesia. They played this football stadium. 60,000, as many women in there as there were men, because you could see the hijabs they were wearing, all went to see Maiden. And I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right then. Maiden, there you go. Biggest Muslim democracy in the world. They love their Maiden. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you name-dropped Marty Friedman earlier. Remember, he played guitar during Tanahashi's entrance at Wrestle Kingdom a few years ago. Yeah. And Tanahashi was air guitaring with him. Yeah. So you talk about influence. I mean, Tanahashi is one of the greatest wrestlers and biggest stars ever. His whole thing is guitar and rock and roll. So it's right there with him too. Yeah, it's, it's the ideal kind of like balance point of rock guitar. You don't get too many wrestlers coming out to classical music themes. It's a mankind, I suppose. But it is that driving rock guitar is kind of still, it's to do with appealing to everyone. You know, no one gets angry at like an 80s rock song, do they? Like, you know, Brian Adams or Def Leppard or uh, Warrant. Well, I think people get married, angry at Warrant than they should do. Um, but, you know, they, get, they get, don't get angry at that kind of sweet cherry pie kind of wrestling uh, kind of music and it kind of associates with the big wrestling names of the time but it kind of like it's a catch-all it's universal you know it's i was interested in thinking about this like at the time like musically speaking we're talking like 96 of a lot of these songs 94 never mind had come out you know but you aren't hearing any of these white women coming out to kind of like soundgarden the nirvana-y pearl jammy kind of uh you know cl rock music because that doesn't that doesn't get the blood pumping in the same way it, that's kind of introspective and kind of personal to the person to the to the people playing it and it's relatable in a different way whereas kind of like hard driving rock music is route 66 and a corvette kind of deal isn't it it's it's very it's it's a it's an attainable dream you know that kind of music because it gives you a certain sense of place in the world. So I think that's that's the thing is like they tend to pick anthems that are a driving because you you've kind of got to get them to the ring. They also have to have momentum to get them there to, so that the performance doesn't slow down, but also to make it uh, approachable so that the actual wrestlers are approachable and you're connecting them with something that's um, inoffensive but kind of. Um, I'm trying to think of the word I'm looking for. Aspirational is the word I'm looking for. That's it. You know, I want to be like this person. You know, that's a big thing, especially with AJW fans. 
because the fans of AJW up until this point were teenage girls. They 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 were looking to be why why wouldn't you want to be Chigasaw Nagayo? She beats people up for a living and looks cool. You know, so that's that's kind of the, the thing they're going for. And it gets a bit more complex in the 90s because like boys start watching women's wrestling and that's when it goes rubbish. No, I'm only joking. Um, but that boys do start watching women's wrestling. Men start watching women's wrestling and it starts being appreciated in the same way as say all Japan was at the time or New Japan was at the time. And it's like you actually look back at it now and New Japan really technically wasn't as good as the other things around it, which is amazing to say considering the stars they had at the time. But it's like AJPW had like the four pillars and Hanson and Doc and Gordy and AJW had this raft of great recruits from the late 80s and FJWP would, were really making a scene and LLPW had all this talent as well and FMW did and they were doing these different things. So, yeah, I think it's really interesting, like this era and the music they pick is very much more generic to make it more attainable, but more relatable to the people that are doing it. That was a long way round, long way round, ranting round to get to my point. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Don't worry about it. Um, that, that's why we're here. You know, long rants about music is why we're here. So. <laughs> So the second to last theme of the episode is for Takako Inoue, uh, best known as the tag partner for Kyoko Inoue in All Japan Women's. Uh, Double Inoue was the team. No relation, funny enough, just a strange coincidence there. Uh, Inoue's theme is by Dennis Gunn, who did Aja's theme earlier. So there he is again. And Taizo Koshiba. It's off of Complete All Japan Women's Pro Wrestling, and it's called She's a Knockout. So I can't express just how much I love this song. Uh, it's, it, it's I was basically... wondering whether you did or not. Sorry to interrupt, but I was wondering whether you would or not, or whether you would think it was hokey. It's basically the best song that 80s Billy Joel never wrote. <laughs> it, it's so poppy and dancey and catchy and got the harmonies in there, the synths going, the gang vocal, one, two, three, go, knockout. It is as far away from Night Danger as you can get, but I love it. And the fact that it's a wrestling theme of all things is just tremendous, James. I love it so much. Are you, are you going to have a Dennis Gunn playlist by the end of this episode? <laughs> well, at, le at least two songs anyway. But, uh, at least yeah. two songs, yeah. Uh, more, more Dennis Gunn in our lives. Yeah, I agree with you. It, it's, it's fun. And Teo Kuinoe is kind of like harmless fun as a wrestler. I don't mean that to be dismissive. It sounds very patronizing. She isn't. She isn't 
she's an exceptionally good, talented professional wrestler. And Takoko Inouye is another one of these people who just came along at the wrong time. If Takoko Inouye walked in, into AEW now, she would be a flat-out superstar within a week because she was that good. She was exceptionally gifted as a professional wrestler. She just had that much competition around her at the time. It's not that she was ever bad, it's just that everyone was so much ahead of her. And um, But yeah, but like as a tag team wrestler, she was she was incredible. As a singles wrestler, she was very good as well. Um, and this thing kind of matches her. She's kind of the girl next door, and it, it all kind of clicks with her, doesn't it? Yeah, the story of the song is also amazing, because it's about a guy who is in love with this pretty girl, but the twist is she kicks ass too. Like, she is, quote, a heavy-duty, bathing-beauty gladiator queen, and all she does is do wrestling moves on him and beat him up, and that makes him love her more. So he's basically a masochist, is the story. (laughs) And it's got lines like, She dislocated my spine. I knew I had to make the lady mine. Yeah, the lady's got charm. She (laughs) melted my heart while she twisted my arm. She's my favorite playmate, but she plays so rough. I think I'm going to be dead before I get enough. I love her. I live to bemoan each bruise. She wins every time. But when I'm with her, you know, I just just can't lose. Like, if you look at the story, it's so bizarre. But at the same time, it's it's oddly cute and charming. And fitting for her in a way, too. Because, yeah, she's a beautiful girl, looks lovely, but she'll kick your ass. So it's a charming, funny, and very catchy song. And... It's so weird, and I just I enjoyed it so much, James. <laughs> it does kind of like like Kyokyo in a way song that we looked at in the last episode we did together, which was is very kind of like Van Halen derivative throwaway pop rock, um, but it matched her kind of happy-go-lucky character. And, and Kyoko in a way isn't happy-go-lucky in that same sense. Kyokyo in a way is even to this day. She's still massively enthusiastic about professional wrestling. And you can tell that by the way she wrestled. Whereas Kyoku, uh, sorry, Takoko, in a way, was a bit more reserved, but she was still a kick-ass wrestler. And she was a technically gifted wrestler as well. You know, she was like Manami Toyota kind of standards of good on the mat. And um, and she knew how to sell like they all did. Um, it's But yeah, it matches her really well. And there's a few red flags in there, I think we would say, by modern lyrical standards. I think he needs to use metaphor a little better <laughs> um, <laughs> rather than the direct. It did, reminds me of, there's a song called oh, um, Ultimate Devotion, which is like a 90s punk song and we're about a masochistic relationship. And like the lyrics are very, very similar to this, but he's being serious about his dominatrix and he isn't being serious about Takoko anyway. We hope, thankfully. Um, so it is, it is a laugh, this song, but it also does suit the the subject matter very very well yeah i just admire the creativity to make a song like this in the first place because you could do your standard badass instrumental or your standard i'm gonna beat you up i'm the best kind of theme but to do a song from the perspective of a smitten masochistic lover boy is rather (laughs) unique so hats off to dennis gunn for this and aja's theme just you know, just two memorable themes for one reason or another. <laughs> as as he did indeed read the line when uh, God made the devil just for fun, and even when they wanted the real thing, 
he made Aja Kong, then obviously, clearly, he is a lyrical genius. And what do I know? <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I would. I, yes, I agree. We'll give Dennis the benefit of the doubt because clearly, a better lyricist than I am. So the final theme of the episode here is for Mariko Yoshida, who was in All Japan Women's back in the nineties. But when the promotion went bankrupt in '97, she left to form a new promotion with Aja Kong and a few others called Arceon, which is now defunct, unfortunately. Yoshida's theme is by Robert Miles off the album Dreamland. It's called Fable. Tell me a fable. had a lot of pop and rock and metal in this episode, but we'll take a left turn here with some house music, some trance, a little bit of ambient in there too, the very ethereal vocals, tell me a fable. Um, I, I do enjoy this music on occasion, no lie, uh, and, uh, and the reason I picked it is because it's the most modern theme of the episode, the most recent theme, Yeah. and from my viewpoint and my imperfect knowledge, it represents a changing of the guard with Joshi themes. Where, in the past, you had the more straightforward rock and synth hybrids and maybe some metal in there for the more, you know, heavy hitters and badasses and whatnot. But as time goes on, Joshi themes are shifting more towards electronica and techno and dance. Not completely, of course, but you look at a lot of themes in, like, stardom nowadays. They're very electronica heavy. So there was a shift into this electro style, and I think Yoshida's theme represents that in some way, James. Yeah, I mean, as well, like, it's a shift in Yoshida as well. When Yoshida was in AJW, she was kind of your more traditional women's wrestler. And then when she goes to Warsion, she becomes this badass shoot fighter because the style of Arceon is very shoot orientated. And so she kind of changes her tack as a professional wrestler. And that this theme kind of matches that. She's not like... Um, a stand-up fighter like Dynamite Cancer, you'd expect something driving and, and forward pitched. And she's not a, she is a badass, but she's not a badass in the Aju Kong kind of monster way. 
and she's not a girl next door either. You know, she when she comes starts with Arsio and she comes to the ring wearing a Spider-Man inspired like PVC cat suit with shoot shoes and you know uh, killer armbar combination. And of course, she invented the air raid crash, which is the finisher for Drew McIntyre and a bunch of other people uh, in North America now. But you know, like all great wrestling moves, it was invented by a Josh in the nineties. So, <laughs> so um, you know, she's uh, she's she's different, and she needs a different theme, and this kind of matches that in that sense. But I think you're absolutely right. The other thing about this is. Um, Stardom is, of course, kind of run, well, it's owned and operated by Wushi Road, which is the parent company of New Japan, but for the longest time, and he's still the general manager of the organization, it was run by Rossi Agao, who was who was the founding promoter of Arsion. So, though there is a lot of sandboxing goes on in Arsion that you see in uh, Stardom now. They were the first company that... I can never remember the name of the hall, but there's a, I think DDT from their shows there now as well, and Stardom do. That big stained glass window building, I never remember the name of it, but they were the first, RCM were the first company to run there. They kind of changed the style and the presentation of pro wrestling. Everyone had a license. Aja Kong was the president of the company, her license was number one. Um, and then they gave licenses to all the people who joined the company. So you had a wrestling license and they had ranking systems. It's very much like AEW were trying to run a company now in a very serious wrestling way, but there was also more dramatic storylines to it. And they were also uh, training with battle arts, so it was much more shoot-style orientated. And they picked up a bunch of people who weren't getting traction in other places. So, um, you know, the LCO came over in 98 from AJW. The, um, I'm trying to think of, Aoki Yamada had her start there. Akino had her start there. Uh, Fabio Apache had her first Japanese tours when she was 18 there. You know, Arsion had deep connections in very different places uh, because Rossi Gawa started working for AJW early in his career and kept those connections. and. You know, he's still influential today. There were still some mistakes in Arsion, but Arsion probably, I could describe Arsion between 98 and 2000 as one of perhaps my all time favorite wrestling promotion. It was more or less perfect wrestling for three or so years. Um, and they had some ungodly matches as well. And it was, it was just really tight, well done professional wrestling. And Yoshida embodied that. She was like the the the, the vessel through which Arsion flowed very much so in the same way, say like Okada or Tanahashi is from New Japan now. Um, and yeah, I, I I like this theme tune. It's not my cup of tea musically, but it matches her because it's so different. Yeah, it works too in that she was in All Japan Women's before Arsion, obviously, and her theme there was a song called Butterfly Magic which sounds more in line with other All Japan Women's themes, like Mima's theme and whatnot, um, that guitar-synth-instrumental hybrid. Very straightforward, very traditional. But then she leaves and forms Arceon, and she gets this song, which sounds totally different than what she had before. So it kind of represents her own change as well, with this new promotion and new era of her career. So I don't have a ton to say about it, but... I just wanted to feature it to show that kind of changing of styles 
in regards to Joshi music. Um, and that's in line with music in general. You know, music trends change all the time as genre has become more or less popular over the years. So it makes sense there too, I think. Yeah, it's, it's very much kind of like a rave culture application to wrestling, but this is a bit more chilled out, thankfully. Uh, I, I will say Arsene also had the worst name for a wrestling event ever, categorically, when they named their first show. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, opening, something about uh, Virgin, I think, right? Opening Virgin. Not just Virgin, Opening Virgin. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, whoa! No, so yes. So uh, thankfully, they have learned some of their lessons uh, in modern day stuff. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, uh, it was. Arsion was great at the time for what it was, and it was a great kind of idea. Um, like all things, it kind of fell off the rails when the original impetus left Aja Kong left um, in 99, I think it was. Um, and over a dispute with Rossi about various things, which is the reason why she will never appear for stardom because they're still kind of in dispute all these years later. Um, or it'd be very, I wouldn't say she'd never appear for stardom because never say never in professional wrestling, but I would say she's very unlikely she would appear for stardom. Um, and it's, yeah, it's Arsene was great and more people should watch some more Arsene because it was really cool. And there's loads of it available on the internet as well. There's another thing, easy to pick up shows. There's a couple of live shows from 98 that you can see that are just kind of standard stock wrestling shows that are a bit fluff and throwaway, but they're fun to watch, so you should look at them. Yeah, I, I watched a few Yoshida matches from Arsion, and I understand her importance and you know her being a founder and all that, but I wasn't really a fan of her style all that much because she is, yeah, she's very grapple-heavy, and I like that occasionally, um, mostly when it's done with some form of dynamism, like Sex Saber Jr. or Jonathan Gresham, but the matches I watch, she was kind of dry to me, and I wasn't really feeling it. Um, but that's just my own taste, of course. You know, I know she's a good wrestler. It just, it, it wasn't for me. Yeah, I think you know, it's um, Arsene really got cooking with Okimada. Um, this, is, this is another thing as well. This is other things that were just wrong with Arsene. Uh, they actually followed, uh, they, they actually showed uh, Aoki Mada's high school uh, graduation, counting down the days to when she would become a professional wrestler. And it was like, <laughs> mm, really? <laughs> do, we, do, do we want to be doing that now? Um, but yeah, uh, so when Aoki Mada came along and it was kind of a bit more of a mix of lucha and shoot style, but still kind of tough brawling, became a bit more watchable in that sense. But like Arsene itself became... Uh, influential because it became the foundation for what come after uh technically it still does exist a to z wrestling which is yamuki hot's promotion is essentially what arsion was she bought out the promotion when rossi sold up before he kind of went on a hiatus before stardom um but it was basically a political mess and by the time she got to it and she kind of rescued it and lived it along ever since but it's not really the same promotion um so yeah it's it arsion was Arsene was kind of like the great sandbox for 2010's Joshi, I think. That was, there was a lot more influence there, and you can see it in, certainly in Stardom uh, and in Seedlining and in, to a lesser extent, TJPW. And uh, Yoshida is retired now, of course, but she lives on in wrestling through her moves because KZ in Dragon Gate uses the spider twist as one of his finishers. Yes. So her influence is still being felt to this day, so... 
Yeah, yeah. And the air raid crash, Drew McIntyre. Um, gravy train from LA Knight, as he is now known. Uh, Eli Drake, as he was formerly known. Uh, Arcada obviously uses an air raid crash netbreaker uh, variation as well. So she was incredibly influential for the length of time she was wrestling. And I think... There's probably there's probably a few wrestlers who are around today that kind of have taken on uh, Lindsay Snow a little bit, I think, and uh, I, yeah, um, Sienna as well a little bit too, kind of taken on that kind of mat working badass that that she was. Right, right. All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode of Music of the Mat. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, James, thank you for being here. This was just so much fun having you on and getting back into the classic Joshi pool here. And uh, you are just like the Energizer Bunny because you just keep going and going and going <laughs> with this stuff. And I, I mean that in the best possible way, of course, because your knowledge is very much appreciated and always welcome. So thank you. Thank you very much. I greatly appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun to talk about um, Joshi again. Uh, it's so much in depth because it's still my favorite wrestling subject. Joshi never lets you down. There'll always be something you can find to learn about or something that's cool or some like the, the Dumbasimoto story which I didn't know about which was really really cool so you're always getting surprised about new stuff all the time any plugs you want to give go right ahead uh, you can follow me at Sheriff Lone Star on Twitter if you would like to have a chat about Joshi or professional wrestling generally that would be cool um, Troopany Show drops every Monday on Troopany Show channel you can find that on SoundCloud Stitcher, iTunes all the places you get your podcasts from uh, the Today Out series will wrap up uh the new japan cup and that'll be back uh for best of super juniors and we have the wrestling rewind on there too that's really cool if you like north american wrestling and uh steel chair magazine is ace you should probably read that too okay cool cool and music of the mat is of course part of the voices of wrestling podcast network you can find all the great podcasts on there at voicesofwrestling.com follow the show on twitter at music of the mat Follow me on Twitter at Andrew T. Rich. If you want to discuss this episode or other topics, you can do so at the VOW Discord. That's VoicesOfWrestling.com slash Discord. If you want to donate to the show, you can do that too. Just go to VoicesOfWrestling.com slash Donate and click the big Donate button beneath the name Music of the Mat. If you donate, hey, thanks so much. You're awesome. And of course... Rate, review, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many other places. James, thank you again, and I'll see you around. Take care. All right, for James Truepenny, I'm Andrew Rich, and I'll see you next time on Music of the Mat. Take care, guys. Music of the Mat is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The songs used throughout this show are property of their respective copyright holders.